be turning to James, James chapter 3. Uh, as you're turning there, what a year 2020 has been. Uh, it seems as though uh, it's been the worst sickness that's probably hit our nation since 1917, since we saw the, the yellow fever come in. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just something that people in our lifetimes have not been able to see a, a pandemic of this nature, uh, whether you want to believe what the cause of it is, uh, it doesn't matter, but it, it's been a trial, it's been a change of the way that we do things, it's, it's stirred the pot a little bit, but it's reminded us, I think, of how fragile and how short this life is that we have here on earth. And as we look at James chapter 1, I'm sorry, I said James chapter 3, but it's James chapter 1 and verse 14. James chapter 1 and verse 14. If you could stand for the reading of God's word to honor him. The Bible says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." Of his own will begat he with, a, with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, we pray that your anointed Holy Spirit, Lord, will come down upon the midst of this building. Lord, that you will speak to the hearts of your people. Lord, that you will challenge where challenge is necessary. Lord, we pray that you'll convict to those that, Lord, are weary and off the way they should be. Lord, we pray that you'll encourage those that are burdened, Lord, and heavy laden this morning. Lord, we pray that you'll just change hearts. Lord, anoint us with your Holy Spirit to the point, Lord, that we see how great and mighty you are. Lord, that we're willing to let go of our selfish desires and the things of the flesh that so easily beset us. And Lord, that we will truly worship you this morning with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This morning I want us to start off here with verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15, when, he, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. As we look at those two verses, it really lays out the foundation of what sin is about. Sin in its birth took over and created this barrier between us and God, tearing apart that pure relationship that was intended between man and God that we see in the garden. When man was created early on, we see this beautiful relationship and how they walked, they communed every evening, and how everything was perfect. Man was supposed to walk and to name and to, to be part of this creation, and, a, and, and God instilled in him a greater knowledge more than any other mammal or, or any other type of creation. He established this beautiful picture. I, I know as a kid, I would, uh, as I would learn about uh, Adam and Eve, the curiosity that would come up inside of me and how it would be to walk physically, 
physically with God or maybe in a spiritual sense. But that communion that happened there in that moment, how beautiful that would have been and how awesome that would have been a, uh, to be a part of. No sin, no temptation, just you with your creator. What a beautiful atmosphere that would have been. But then sin was conceived. It was conceived in the heart of Eve when she was tempted by by Satan there in that moment in the garden. And then she gave way to sin, allowing and taking part of that which she knew she wasn't. And then we see Adam going and doing the same and giving forth this terrible disease that we know of as sin. It's funny though, you see a way people act around coronavirus and how we fist bump now instead of handshake. How hugs are, are not as often as they used to be. And how things have changed since we now know about coronavirus. But sin is treated a little bit differently. Once it's conceived, once it's established, once it's there, it's rooted and it's passed on through birth one to another. And how corrosive it is. You see, I, wa- I work in the uh, water utility business for Double Springs Utility. Oftentimes, we'll start to go and we'll change out service lines. When we get down to one of the service lines, we'll find a galvanized line. Galvanized is made out of steel, and it's very corrosive when it, it acts with water. It rusts. It builds up. And over time, if you don't go and you don't replace it or you don't clean it, It closes up to the point that you can't get any water out of it. And then you're going, what on earth has happened to my water? That's oftentimes the call that we get. People are not aware of the problem that exists because it's hidden. It's rooted deep within and it's not looked at. Sin, when it's established, it's established from birth. And it comes up and it's corrosive. Sin is born in our flesh as a temptation. And when acted on, destroys the enamel of our soul. Just as untreated tartar creates a cavity in the tooth, we can look at the story of Lot and realize how, this, how sin works. Uh, Lot, when he was talking to his uncle Abraham, and they were discussing on where they would go and what, they, what part they wanted to take, Lot tor- looked toward uh, the city, and he looked out there and he said, I want to go there. I want to go towards Sodom. There's a lot of money to be made there. There's, there's something that we can do in this area. That's what I'm going to do. This is what's important to me. I'm going to take my family and go. When he went in that direction, and as we know, Abraham went the complete opposite direction, but he went and he, he set up his tents outside of the city. Over time, he started to get used to the, the traditions and the thing going on in the city, and he got closer, and he worked his way in, and he was now all the way into the city as we find him in Genesis chapter 19. And I urge you to maybe read this story with your family and realize how corrosive sin is and how it takes over our souls. We see uh, there in uh, Genesis chapter 19, the angels come and they're trying to warn Lot about the punishment that is about to come because of Abraham's faithfulness and his request. So these, so these angels come in, they knock on the home of, of Lot and he pulls them in real quickly trying to hide, I believe, everything going on outside in the city. He knew he shouldn't be there, but he didn't listen to his heart. They warn him of the coming judgment. They warn him of what is coming to place. But he, and and he, st- he listens and he's like, okay, we got to go. So he's, he goes to his sons. They're parting. They don't want any part. And so they flee. 
He, he goes in and he gets his daughters and his wife and he starts dragging them out of the city. And here's the thing. The corrosiveness had took over the control of his wife that she, she didn't listen to the commandments of the angels and saying, don't turn around, don't look back, let it go, just go. Get out of this city for the judgment is coming. I believe as she heard the judgment and everything going on and the, the screaming and the terribleness of the judgment that was coming upon the people of Sodom, she looks back, and we know the story how she turns to a pillar of salt. Here in this moment, we see the corrosiveness of sin, and then it goes on into the story. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into it, but Lot continues to slide down into this path of sin and destruction. It, it worked over his family, and it turned him into this place because he was near it. Sin is corrosive. It destroys our soul. It puts us into a place where when we give way to sin, we become callous to it, and we don't realize that it's there. And oftentimes we see the problem as something other than the sin instead of it actually being sin that is the problem. Just as many people who call us again about that galvanized line. They think it's our problem. They always want us to check the meter. Or uh, do you have some type of pressure control on it? Or, or many other questions, but they don't realize the problem is inside of their own house. I'm telling you that sin is the destroyer of souls. Sin is the, destro the destroyer of, of, of our true place and belonging. And I'm going to get into that. Under the destruction of sin... We are all laid to guilt, pain, death, and much sorrow. In Job chapter 14 and verse 1, if you want to turn there with me. Job chapter 14 and verse 1. Job is a man who faced many trials. Job, as we know, faced many sicknesses and many different things in his life. And many would say that he had every right to be angry or uh, upset by the way that life had went. But I think Job, throughout it all, knew in his heart, he knew within his soul what was going on. I really do believe that. I believe he questioned, he doubted, he went through many different things. But as we talked in Sunday school, doubt is not sin. It's when you give way to that doubt and act upon it that that you start to go into that place of sin. But in Job chapter 14 and verse 1, we say, Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Job here in this moment is, is establishing that from the moment of birth, from the moment of man being conceived, well, we face terrible things. I mean, I think of uh, DJ Stanley when I think about the destruction of sin on our bodies as we know it. DJ suffered, as, as I know many of you know, but ALS, which is one of the most horrible things that a person can have, I, I saw it firsthand, and how you lose all control of everything, and then your lungs are one of the last things to go to a point at which you pretty much drowned. It's a horrible disease, but it exists because this world is full of corruption. It's full of sin, and these bodies, because of that, are going to one day die. We know that. Romans chapter 3 verses 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you say, Brother, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, let's be clear, real clear. And, and I loved the lesson today. It was dancing around my sermon, and I told them this morning that. But they brought out the point that, God, that good cannot exist without God because He is all that's good. I, I say that because... 
I know that in my own nature, Kayla Mackey, when I don't wake up in the morning and I don't allow God to move into my heart, and when I don't establish off very quickly who God is, and I, I can sometimes get into a place where I trust Caleb Mackey a little bit too much, I will always fall in some way. Because Caleb Mackey on his own is not good. Caleb Mackey on his own is going to fail. I'm not going to put it any other way than this and say that I am corrosive in nature, but God moving through me allows me to have hope and something beyond that. But we know that all have sinned. All are bad in their own nature. Uh, my son, Rhett, I love him to death, but my goodness, he's a handful. Uh, there's some times that it's just like you tell him to do something and he'll look at you like, hmm. Is that what you want me to do? I'll show you. And he'll do the complete opposite. He's not even two years old. His mom will tell him something to do sometimes and he'll go, no. He's not even two years old and he already knows no. I, I can't wait till he gets to be a teenager. But we find in Romans chapter 6 verses 23, for the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We've all come short. We're all established into this place that death is the answer to this destruction. So what happens now? Romans chapter 6, verses 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Him. Romans chapter 7, verses 11. I'm going to turn there real quickly. Um, we must realize that in our sin... And under the law, we are to be put to death. We are on a death sentence, so to speak, because of our sin. Uh, if you get someone that breaks the law, there's a consequence that has to be done because of that law that was broke. If you speed, you get a ticket. If you, uh, uh, you commit, uh, you steal something, you'll be arrested or you'll have to pay back the amount that you stole. There's consequences for your sin because of the law that was established in the Old Testament. We know that there are certain things you do and there's certain things that you don't do. There's a moral there. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 11, we see this. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Because of the law, we are aware of our sin, and we are aware of what we did wrong. Because of that, we must pay for that sin, so one might think. We find that hopeless, we need a Savior to restore the fractured relationship with man. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Praise God for this. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. 
we have here this beautiful gift. And I want to pause here for a minute because as I was establishing and how I'm trying to build up is that although this life is corrosive and although this life is horrible as we know it and it causes pain and it causes grief there is something in here that causes this life to actually be worth it for this life to have purpose for this life to have belonging it has to be established under the one who defeated sin under Jesus you see before this under the law we would have had to give a sacrifice in the temple in the group of Gentiles you see we couldn't even go into the room that were where the Jews were because they were God's chosen people we had to go to a separate place because we're Gentiles and and have our sacrifice given there. And, and in all in this moment, we would have had to bring our best that we had to God and lay it down on the altar. But then God chose to give His best for man. You see, He didn't have to give anything. He created us. It's like if I was creating something on a table, let's, let's say a clay pot, for instance, and I was going through it and going through it, and I was working as hard as I could, and, it, and, and all of a sudden the table stopped, and it caused me to mess up the creation I, I, that I was creating. I'd just throw it away. That's the nature of man. But see, God didn't want to just throw us away. Because he loved us. We're more than just clay. We're more than just dirt. We're more than just a bunch of atoms thrown together. We're a living, breathing soul that has a purpose and a belonging. And all of that is caused because God, when he created man, had you in mind. Me in mind. And then when the, the fall of Adam through sin, and sin existed, and Satan thought he had won, Jesus died on the cross as that perfect slain lamb, that perfect emblem of a sacrifice for you and for me. In that moment, defeating sin as we know it. Here's the problem. When we are born into this sin, and we live under this sin, we are in darkness and we fear and we run and we have pride and we let all of these other things get in the way of reestablishing that connection, that relationship to how it should have been in the garden. You see, the, the veil in the temple was established because of sin. That was in place because the, the, the high priest was the only one that could go into that temple into that room, the Holy of Holies, behind that veil. And that veil was established because no one could go into the presence of God that had sin in their life. The, the Jews were very specific about how this man had to be and, and, and a lot of traditions that went through it. But if the high priest had any sin on him and he walked into the Holy of Holies behind that curtain, the bells on the hem of his garment would, would, would not, you wouldn't hear him walking anymore. And they would tie a rope to their leg because if the high priest died because he had sin in his life and he walked into the presence of God, they would pull him out of that temple, out of the Holy of Holies. That was the only way to get him out. They didn't want to go in after him. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So because of this, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he, there was an earthquake. And I believe the Spirit of God went into that building and ripped that because he said, I'm done. It's finished. The battle is over. I'm establishing myself as the Savior of the world. If you want your sins forgiven, you come to me, not to man. 
And in this moment, he established a victory. He established himself as king over the world. Here's the problem, though. It's the restoration project. If you go into a house that's had all of this corrosiveness and all of these, uh, they've left the door open for years and there's mold everywhere, it takes a process of cleaning that house and restoring it and bringing it back to the way that it needs to be. So are our houses. You see, these are houses for the Holy Spirit. When there's sin in there, He cannot exist. So we must ask Him to forgive us. We must allow Him to move in. And then once we allow Him to move in, there's a cleaning process that has to take place. Once restored by accepting by faith, we have a relationship, a walk with Christ as in the garden. And we see that in verse 11. I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 11 of Romans chapter 8 real quickly. For to be carnal-minded is death, but to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now in any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Pay attention right here to verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that it raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Because of this, now let's skip down um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This right here, because he abides in us, this is possible. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This term, Abba, Father, is something that's overlooked often, but is something powerful. Do you know one of the other times that the word, words Abba, Father were mentioned in the Bible? One of the only other times that it's mentioned is in, it's mentioned in Galatians when Paul is writing, a, uh, again, something similar. But it's also mentioned in the garden before Jesus' death. You see, in this moment when his sweat was becoming his blood, and I believe he was battling the flesh and what was going on, but more than that, he was battling what he knew was coming, and that was going to be the sin of the world on his soul, on his life. And he was going to take on everything that we have ever done upon himself. What did he do? He cried up, Abba, Father. You say, brother, what are you getting at? Because Jesus died on the cross for me. I can look at a righteous God up in heaven and say, Abba, Father, and he is listening to me because of Jesus and because of what he's done, because I have gained access to the throne of God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am adopted. I was orphaned because of sin. I was lost. I was out there on a bad track. But because I, I just knelt down and accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, I can cry out to a God, Abba, Father. Father, 
my dad, my father, help me in this moment. Give me strength. And you say, brother, why is it that those people that are rooted in their faith and and, and everything else, when they're on their deathbed in the hospital, they'll smile and they'll be happy. Now, I will tell you this, my grandmother... She was on dialysis, and it was getting bad. Her kidneys were going bad, and they called in hospice. And I went and visited her because I was going to have to go to church camp, and I wanted to see her because I didn't know if she'd be there when I got back. And she looked at me, and she said, Caleb, I want you to go on. She said, I may not be here when you get back, but you got something bigger to do. And she said, it's okay. She said, is it comfortable? Is it something I want to do? No, but I know God's going to take care of me. And I'm telling you, in that moment, you see the faith. You see what she had, and I know it's real, and I know the purpose there. And it's to establish the fact that we have a Father in heaven who cares about our souls and cares about our lives. And it's that relationship that we have so that we have life more abundantly through the pain. I'm telling you that it doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, what you achieve, how many goals on your list that you have in your house that you achieve. and It doesn't matter what kind of pain comes in your life. We are all going to face death. We're all going to face pain. We're all going to face struggles. But the thing is, Jesus is here to help us. In John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I come so that you could have life more abundantly. He didn't come just for salvation, but he came so that we could have joy on this earth. A communion. You say, brother, what are you talking about? You've talked about sin. You've talked about loss. What are you getting? If you don't get anything else but this, this morning, I hope that you'll just listen real quickly. The problem with a lot of Christians today is we come and we sit in uh, our churches and we sit down on pews and we'll go, well, this is where I sit every Sunday. What's the preacher going to preach about today? Oh, my, I, I didn't get anything from the preacher this morning. He just preached on, uh, on uh, John 3.16. That's what everybody preaches on. The problem is a heart issue. Communion has to be a two-way street. We think of it as though it's a one way where we come into the house of God and he's supposed to give us a message through the preacher. But then we'll go to our houses and we'll sit down on our our recliners because it's comfortable and we won't pick our Bibles up the rest of the week. We'll pick up the, uh, the remote and we'll turn on and we'll watch news. We'll do everything else. We'll go golfing. We'll go doing all kinds of things. But the communion is lacking with God on a daily basis. And so then when we come into the house of the Lord, he didn't speak to me today. I didn't get anything that the preacher was saying. It's because maybe it's not the preacher's fault. Because maybe we have slacked on our list of things to do. And that is to commune with God and to be there for him and to listen to him. How are you going to know what to do in the moment of grief, in the moment of a trial? When you don't even take time to listen to what he says in that word. You won't because you won't know what's in here. You haven't hit it on your heart. You haven't placed a belonging. So then when temptation comes, how do you you know where to run? How do you know where to go? You don't. You might flee it. You might get away from it. But nine times out of ten, the Christian who doesn't read their Bible and doesn't pray when temptation comes, uh, well, okay. 
And then we'll go and we'll feel the guilt and we'll feel the pain and we'll feel everything else. And then we'll be like, well, I've got to go back to church and I've got to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And That's not how a relationship with God is supposed to be. A relationship with God is, is as a marriage. And it's saying, Lord, I love you. I devote myself to you. I want to know more about you. I, I, want, to, I want to get to know you. I want to walk with you. If I only went in and talked to my wife once a week, I doubt she'd be there after two years. I'm telling you that it's a relationship. It's a place. It's a belonging. We get so far away from God and, and so often that when we come into the house of the Lord, we can't even feel Him because we don't know where He is. Sometimes he might move a passive conviction. Sometimes he might move a little bit for you to say amen. But what do we do when those times come? Oh, well, I'll go and I'll pray next Sunday. I, I'll, I'll say amen later. I, I don't want to affect the sermon. I, I don't want anybody to realize I'm here. I don't want anybody to think that I've got struggles in my life. I'm telling you here today, each and every one of us, every single day is a struggle. And it's going to come with trials. It's going to come with temptations. We need to realize that we're in this together. And if someone's paying more attention to who's going than about their heart, they're not here for the right reason. So I wouldn't worry about them. We're here to draw closer to God. We're here to draw closer to the message of who He is. That's why we come to church. To commune and walk with God. He come not just for a relationship, but a forgiver. A savior, a king. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, his stripes, we are healed. We see that. You see, he established real quick that he is the forgiver by allowing us to be forgiven by his stripes. You know, the whole time I believe that he was going through that whole kangaroo court process and brought before everyone else, I believe he had Brother Seth on his mind. I believe he had Brother Tanner on his mind, Brother Cecil, Rhonda. Everyone that's here today, he had you on his mind as he was going through all of that. And I believe as though your sin came upon him. And he took those last breaths and he said, it is finished. All the healing for all the world was done. The only thing is we have to come and accept it this morning. But he didn't just come to forgive, but he came to save. In Psalms chapter 103, verse 12, we see that cast our sins as far as the east is to the west. The destructiveness and the corrosiveness of sin is horrible. It allows us through our lifetime to build up a list of sins that looks probably like about like this. I don't know about you and about anybody else here, but if we just all of a sudden said, we're going to go up here and we're going to play on this uh, projector everyone's life and everyone's going to sit here and everybody's going to watch it. None of us would be like, yeah, I want them to watch my whole life, everything that ever happened. No. We build up a list and a ledger that cannot be wiped out. But then God, when we allow him to forgive us and allow him to save us, I love it more than anything, but he takes our sins, he casts them as far as the east is to the west, and he allows our life to look as though this side right here that's completely white. He washes it all away, white as snow, but we know that, okay? He didn't just come to be a savior, but he also came to be a righteous king. You say, what do you mean by that? We know that one day, we haven't come to that day, but we know one day he's going to come again, and he's going to establish before him a new kingdom, a new earth, a new place. 
And when he comes to this place, and when we all come up and we stand before a righteous God, one day we're going to have to answer for our sins. Now here's the thing. You will either have an advocate with Jesus standing right beside of him, or you won't. And this will allow you to be able to go and hear those words, Well done, thy faithful servant. Enter thy courts with praise and thanksgiving. Or you will hear, Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, he came to establish a relationship, a forgiver, a salvation. But one day there will be righteousness that sweeps this earth. And grace, as we know it, will still be in effect to those that have accepted it. But to those that have rejected it, it will have run out. The time has ran out. He's coming as a king. Then we see, he, uh, and he also gives us a hope for an end in heaven with, etern- with him for eternity. In John chapter 14, verse 3, it says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I'm telling you here today that throughout everything, Jesus has been through with me. And I'm telling uh, this whole sermon and why God put this on my mind, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. It's not for me to come up here and say that I've got life figured out. Or for me to, to, to pretend like I've got everything here going for me. No. I'm telling you that I am a man that is corrupt. A man that is living in a corrupt body that one day joyfully I will get to leave and I will stand before God and he will give me a new body and many different things but I don't want to get into that right now what I'm wanting to get at is this he has been the best thing that has ever happened to me I've done things that I shouldn't have I put faith in things that I shouldn't have I've hurt people close to me and as I look back on my life I regret a whole lot but on every front on every step he allows me to move through this life with a peace with a joy with a love with forgiveness from others and from me not because we're special but because he's worked through me and through others and I'm thankful for that I'm telling you I could mess up a lot If I let myself get into the way. But I'm glad and I'm thankful that I know a Lord that decided to step into the way of sin and say, I'm taking this this for you. As I said, it's a gift that's laid up here on this altar this morning. And I'm not going to push the service much further. But if everyone would stand, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want us to take uh, just a few moments. A few moments of of quietness. And I want us to examine our own hearts. And I want us to, to ask ourselves in this moment. Am I still allowing sin to cast a shadow over my relationship with God? It doesn't matter if you're if you never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart before and you're 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 in the darkness and you're in the pain, you're in everything there and, and you want Jesus Christ into your heart, he'll be here, he's waiting for you, he's waiting for you to come home. As the prodigal son, he says, Come home, my child. He's sitting here and he's waiting for you. Maybe you're here this morning though, and you've been saved for a long time. But you've been battling sin, and it seems though it just keeps reoccurring its ugly head, and it's, it's corrosive in nature, and it's bringing you down to a place that you don't want to be. And it's putting you into this horrible battle that you face every single day. 
He said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It takes a heart that is ready to lay every sin down, walk away, not picking it up when you walk outside the door, but one that will look towards Satan and say, get behind me, Satan, in the name of the Lord. For I am not yours, but I am under the power and the authority of Christ. There's a spirit right now, there's, there's a movement right now in my soul that's telling me there's someone that's struggling. There's someone here that is facing a lot of pain. Maybe you're, you're, you're really angry at life for just causing nothing to go right. And it seems like this pain that you're carrying is just overwhelming to the point that you just want to give up. God's going to use you for something. God's got a purpose for all things. And he said that that this life is just temporary. And one day we'll stand before the throne of God and every tear will be wiped away. We'll be in the presence of our loved ones. We'll be in the presence of God forever to praise him and to thank him. Maybe you've been here and your, your relationship with God has become cold and different. COVID's changed everything. You haven't been able to attend church in the way that you want to. Relationships at work have been tense. Relationships at home have been tense. It doesn't matter here today. God is the healer of all disease, including the worst disease that's ever existed on this planet, and that is sin and everything that exists because of it. This morning... Whatever your need is, do not let Satan talk you out. Don't run away. Don't say a different day. I did that for years, and I carried a lot of pain that I didn't need to carry. And when I came and I relieved and I led everything up to God, it is the best feeling that you will ever receive here on this earth. I promise you that.